Today's episode is brought to you by the Tax of French Group. Did you know that in order to get your stimulus check, you had to have filed your taxes for the 2018 or 2019 tax year? If you haven't filed yet, there's good news. The Tax Defense Group can rush e-file your taxes. They know that millions of Americans are struggling and they want to make sure that you get your stimulus check sooner rather than later. Call the Tax Defense Group today at 800-850-7973 to get started. And you can visit them online at thetaxdefensegroup.com. And our other sponsor for today is Writer Junkie. Due to the global pandemic, Writer Junkie is offering their resume writing service for only $100. And with the three-day turnaround, you can't beat that price and delivery time. Call Writer Junkie today at 805-587-7966 and you can visit them online at writerjunkie.com. Mention that you saw this ad on UCAS Studios and they'll get right to work. Hi, welcome to the Talk Spot. This is Marcus, and today I'm joined by Gary Wayne, author of Genesis 6 Conspiracy. Gary's been on several times, and it's good to have him back. Gary, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me back, and so happy to uh, be with you today, and very much looking forward to, to the conversation, particularly with what's going on in the world today. I'm not sure whether or not we're going to go in that direction or not, but uh, it's certainly interesting times that we're on, and glad to be able to be with you and talk to you about these things. Well, perfect. Uh, let's. I guess yeah, if you wouldn't mind, yeah, I guess let's let's jump right into that because I think that the current state of the world is probably on everyone's mind to some extent. What uh, what are your opinions about it? And do you think, from a eschatological standpoint, do you do you feel like these times could tie into you know Bible prophecy about the end times? I think so, but I I, I wouldn't get too far over our skis as what a lot of people are talking about. Um, this is a significant event, and I'll sort of put that into a frame of perspective for people in terms of where I think we are on the chronology of coming end time events. I would first sort of start off with, though, that I've, I found it interesting when I was listening last week to Andrew Como, and I had heard rumors about some of the descriptions that doctors were saying in some of the hospitals about this virus and they called it the beast and probably because it you know it caused so much grief in in some of the hot spots and but governor cuomo i i heard him like three times in about 45 seconds call this virus the beast and of course that has all sorts of connotations and everything towards um, terminology and phraseology that's used in end time prophecy so i think there's some connections there that maybe we can come back to but that's it's not the beast or the beast system certainly yet and so let's just talk about this as a, a pandemic and where it might fit in on a perfect prophetic timeline or chronology, I would start with saying that uh, Jesus gave an oration in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13 and in Luke 21 and 17, and you need to put those two together. But it's basically talking about the same set of events that Jesus talked about for his return and for the end time. And so one of the key prophetic allegories that he put out that we need to learn about is the fig tree generation. What does that mean? Because this generation of the fig tree doesn't pass away until all of the things that he talked about uh, are fulfilled. And in prophecy, the southern kingdom, which is Judah and a couple other tribes and also has some has Levites in, in there as well, um, is separate from the northern kingdom. In prophecy, Judah is the fig tree. 
the fig tree is also a tree that Jesus, in sort of foreshadowing what he's going to talk about next, actually causes a dying of a fig tree and then goes on to talk about how Jerusalem and Judea of his time is going to be overthrown and the commission is going to be temporarily replaced by Gentile nations, which is a foreshadow to you know, the Christian church that's going to come after him. And then he says in the fig tree part of the signs of the end time that when you see this fig tree blooming and into summer, then you'll know that this time is near and all the words that I've said will not, you know, will come to pass. My word, you know, this generation will pass away, but my words won't pass away. So what is the fig tree generation? And how long is a generation, which is very, very important to keep things in mind. And in the Bible, we get 70 years in the Psalms and in Genesis 6, 3, 120 years. We don't know exactly the length of it, of a generation that is being implied by Jesus. And it could be shorter than that entire generation, just as he talks about in Matthew, about shortening the days in the last three and a half years. Typically, when we look at the Southern Kingdom as the fig tree being in the land of the covenant, that happens in 1947. But more importantly is that most prophecy centralizes around the city of Jerusalem. And so if you look at pretty much all the different prophecies, it's all centering in on Judah being in Jerusalem and having control of Jerusalem. And even being able to, in the last seven years, or the first three and a half years of the last seven, being able to do a sacrifice on a wing or extremity of of the temple. So in 1967, the southern kingdom of Judah, the present-day nation-state of Israel, took control of Jerusalem. And it's interesting, in the last year or two, that President Trump made recognize Jerusalem as the capital, which sort of signifies uh, a closing in of timing on on the end time. So that leaves a window if it's 70 or 120 years of somewhere between now and 2037 and or another 50 years after that, you know, closer to about 2090 as being this last generation, if that's the fulfillment of the fig tree generation. Now, Jesus moves on and says that there will be Uh, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, and famine as as the beginning of sorrows. And sorrows goes back as a definition because in my approach to the Bible, it's a literal approach and all allegories are defined within the Bible. These are birth pangs and they're connected to birth pangs and sorrows in the Old Testament that Jesus is referring to in Isaiah 13, um, Hosea 13, and in a couple chapters in in Jeremiah. And so I have those verses. If people want to get a hold of me, I'll send them to you just so you know that how that beginning of sorrows is uh, defined in the King James Version as, and in other translations, it'll just say birth pangs. And so what that means is that these are going to be the signs before we get into uh, the last seven years and are quickening and becoming more intense as we go. And so that these are not the seal openings because at that point in time, even though they're the exact same catastrophes, they're larger by the time of the seal openings, which is 25% destruction of the entire world and of the land and of the earth. And the Trumps are 33%. And then the wrath bulls are 100%, except that Jesus steps in to prevent that from coming to 100% completion at Armageddon. And so... 
when we look at understanding of the birth pangs and all of the catastrophes that are related, and then also in association with how that's associated with war, conquest, war, typically, and, and of course, big disasters like earthquakes or hurricanes will bring about famine and pestilence. They seem to be all sort of related. So we've got this isolated birth pang that's a pestilence or a pandemic that's part of the birth pangs, but it's not really associated with all the other birth pangs, which will be going on all at the same time, except for maybe earthquakes, which are increasing around the world and increasing in intensity. We've had famine in the past, but we haven't had a whole lot of famines lately, and it's the war aspect. But these birth pains will continue to intensify as we get closer to the end time. But what I do think is what this pestilence is doing is catastrophes have a way of bringing about a prophetic timetable and brings about prophecy in ways that happen much more quickly than what people think. And so I think this is being used right now and being implemented with that things are going to be transitioning into a new normal. And I would actually call it as an Abbey normal, if that's the case, as an abomination leading to the abomination, which is the crowning of the Antichrist. So an Abbey normal state, and they don't want it to go back. They want it to introduce more of an Aurelian state because they have a catastrophe now, which is an opportunity, which is used to implement things that they couldn't think of implementing things before. So I think we have to be, I think we have to be very, very, careful and very, very disciplined in pushing back this opportunity, at least for a while, until there's nothing that we can do to stop the globalists from imposing this new world order that they're seemingly fanatically trying to bring about. And I see all the different angles that that governments are united in and bringing about all together seemingly that there will be no going back if this continues. And so in terms of this being part of the beast system, understand that when it talks about the beast and prophecy, it's talking about three different aspects that will all come together under the crowning of the individual called the beast, which is Antichrist. And the one who comes up out of the abyss, who probably avatars Antichrist, which is Abad and Napoleon, and I think Azazel. Uh, And that's uh, too long of a rabbit hole to go into, but if people want to get a hold of me, I'll send you a document on that through my website, Genesis6conspiracy.com. That's the number six. And so he is the first beast, and he's the one that's going to take over the beast system which is put in place, which is a combination of a medical association uh, delivering health and immortality, probably through an implant with bots that's going to hook up to an AI system and quantum computing, which will also provide knowledge, which is the second part of godhood, knowledge and immortality that will become the beast system where you can't buy or sell except for having that mark, and that it can track people everywhere because anybody who doesn't take the mark or does not worship Antichrist or Satan in the end time is going to be beheaded. That's in the last three and a half years as opposed to the first three and a half years when that comes about. 
The third beast is the beast empires. So just as the woman, which is Babylon, which is going to reign as the religion in the first three and a half years, then you have her being able to bring about this new world order and world government, and that's why she rides the seven empires, uh, which are the seven world empires past, which the seventh is the end-time world empire, Rome being one before that, and then Greece before that, and then uh, Persia before that, and then Babylon before that. And then typically it's thought of as the two pillars after Babel of being uh, Nimrod's extended down the road dynasty of not that he was king over, but Assyria, which was a world empire and Egypt before that. And just as you, it's a dual prophecy for Daniel 8 as well, where you have seven coming out of that prophecy. And that, for people who aren't aware of it, is a prophecy about the king of Greece, which was Alexander. So he's the first one. His empire then gets split into four empires and rules. And then after that comes Rome, which was part of that empire. So now you're up to six. And then the last empire of the end time is the seventh. So it's, it's both prophecies are working and giving more information about the same understanding of this beast kingdom. And it's a seven-headed dragon monster that comes up out of the sea. So the allegory of a beast is for these beast empires, which is the world government of the end time. And then Antichrist is actually the Eighth, as he destroys Babylon and sets himself up as, as king of the world and, and the false messiah. So that's just kind of linking all of the things as to where we're going to go and where I, where I think that we are. But we're still in the birth pang periods and the assembling of world government and the beast system. And there's a lot more technology to be developed to be able to implement that. But I think they're closing in on that. And out of that, I think we should be prepared out of these birth pangs that there are going to appear false prophets, which we haven't seen yet. So we have to watch for that because they're going to make predictions of catastrophe, whether contrived or just by logical deduction based on wars or, or whatever. But they're going to create these false prophecies and tell the world, if you do not convert to the one world religion, we're going to be destroyed from the face of the earth just as the people of Babel came together as one people with one religion under an antichrist archetypical figure named Nimrod, you know, within 100 years after the flood. And, of course, that's where Babylon of the religion is based on, and that's the religion that crosses the flood from Enochian mysticism. So I know that was a long rant, um, but I think it was, hopefully I gave a quick summary and put some things into perspective on it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that you did. And, and I think that, I feel like this this whole pandemic and everything we're experiencing right now, I feel like it can easily go a couple ways. I mean, there's the direction of, you know, basically everyone just kind of, you know, follows the stay-at-home orders and it goes on for however long from now until it's it's over. You know, if that's middle of May or June or I don't know, let's even say July, you know, whatever, however long it may be. I mean, I feel like there's the potential that it could just go that long and then come whenever, whenever time that is later this year, everything will just be kind of back to normal in a lot of the sense. You know, maybe not every single thing will, you know, you might not be able to go to a mosh pit at a concert, but, yeah. um, you know, largely life will kind of just be back to normal and everyone's everyone will be working and you will be living normal. But I also think that, I don't know, I feel like you can also see the the possibility of us going a direction where, you know, because of the pandemic and all of the rules being implemented, I mean, I could see a, a direction where there is 
some weird stuff that has that does that could come about you know something maybe like you know like a mark of the beast or something like that and then you know you also add in this element that you know that china is you know responsible for the virus and then you know you hear them talk about i mean at least i've heard in the past they said they had you know a 200 million man army and you hear that and you're like okay that's really bizarre that you know like basically now at least the u.s i know some there's some other countries too that are very you know angry at china and i'm not saying that they'll necessarily go to war with china but i feel like you can kind of see the groundwork where something like that could potentially happen or the mark of the beast through this virus could potentially happen in a way that at least in, in my life i i feel like those two things come into fruition like a war with the 200 million man army and the mark of the beast i feel like we've never been in a situation in my life where we could i could see that happening yeah. And now yeah. maybe that could be the case. Yeah, you see a lot more of the pieces, whether it's geopolitical or technology, um, how the world has been working together. And you see that possibility as the odds increasing significantly than what it would have been over 20 years ago. Uh, because, again, you just see more of those things coming together. And, you know, I do agree with you that you know, this uh, pandemic could just sort of go away and never come back like SARS just died out. And if, if my memory serves me correctly, they never actually found a vaccine for the SARS. So there's a good possibility if it doesn't come back that, you know, we could just move on and we're only going to get a smattering of things that they were able to leave in place. Um, but if you get some other dominoes that are going or you get a resurgence of the uh, pandemic in the fall or in the winter, then that could change things significantly because you know we're already starting to see, as you see some fallout from a very short period of time, let alone what it's going to take to kickstart the economy, particularly if it goes on for longer with the shutdown or it comes back and then there's, a, there's another shutdown. And, you know, nothing will... Uh, cause things for change and uh, disruption in terms of peace and civility around the world if you have a monster depression like what would have happened in the Great Depression. And so hopefully those dominoes aren't putting in place, but we're also seeing food supply um, issues in terms of, you know, we have to ensure that the farmers are going to continue to produce food and that that supplies able to get to the market and we're seeing disruptions of that in a significant way and then we have the trade issues that are going on in our supply systems with the china problem that you're mentioning going on that we don't know what the resolution what that's going to be but that is going to change things somehow some way that probably creates more tension and then there'll be the fallout in terms of that relationship as to how much of that supply, which I'm in favor of, is coming back as domestic supply. It just seems to me that anything that is required for the survival of your nation, of your people, you can't outsource. You need to have control over that. And it's been a crime against the countries with the globalist policies of free trade. And I'm not anti-free trade. I just, it needs to be fair trade and we need to look after how we survive in a catastrophe, which seems to me was absolutely either ignored or planned to take the ability away to survive after a catastrophe by the globalists. And, uh, you know, you can go whichever direction that you want with that. But these are changes that are going to have significant effects greater than, 
if you know we get through this and only a few of those restrictions are in place. But they are putting in in place uh, laws, procedures, infrastructure that will supersede even a quick recovery that are going to affect our, our lives no matter what. So it's a matter of the degree of how this birth pang is going to vibrate around the world and whether or not it pushes over another domino because if you have uh, people not shipping wheat and rice and things like that out, does that start uh, a famine? If we have, for whatever reasons, some large earthquakes or tsunamis that go on, how does that affect things? And if you have trade wars going on, how does that affect things and does that lead to war? So all of these things you know, in a very complicated world aren't working uh, in separate lanes, they're they're all working down the same directional highway, and uh, they need to make sure that everything is not going to cross over that center line and cause a head-on crash. And I'm not convinced that that is what the leaders are actually looking at doing. It seems to be they're more interested in saying, how do we get more control? How do we take more rights away? And then how do we create more? infrastructure for the coming world government that we want to have and how do we sell it to the people that unless you do this you're going to be destroyed from the face of the earth and that's the whole strategy with the propaganda that's gone on with this pandemic when they're talking about if we don't do that you know if we don't completely shut down and then keep you locked in for an extraordinary amount of time, then we're going to have a disease that wipes out most of the population of the earth and, and Everything that they tend to do in that globalist sort of strategy is in that apocalyptic nature. So expect that to continue no matter what happens. There definitely is a huge, I don't know to word it, other than a huge ideological clash when it comes to that issue. I mean, you have some politicians that, you know, completely want everything shut down. I mean, you've, I'm sure, you might have heard of, you know, this governor of Michigan and the way that she's acted and grabbed power and the protests and everything like that. And, and, you know, you have people that agree with her. And then you have other politicians and you have, I don't know how many people that are basically saying, you know, this, I'm done. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I'm done with the, the whole lockdown and everything like that. And I'm, I'm ready to go to work. And it, it really is, uh, I mean, again, I, I don't know how, how every other country, I'm not really sure how, you know, they're necessarily, like, I don't know, like how people are responding in Germany, for example, but there definitely is a huge ideological divide and I don't know I, I feel like in my opinion and I mean I, I like to hear your opinion about this too I almost feel like this won't necessarily lead to end of days Bible prophecies I almost feel like though this is almost yeah just more of like a trial run yeah because I could I mean could you imagine I don't know let's just say theoretically 10 years from now if something like the virus that we have now comes out again but this time it actually does kill the people the amount of people that this virus was you know predicted to do yep. i mean i could easily foresee them saying something okay you know in order for you to go into the store you have to have this microchip implanted in your hand that basically will tell us we'll scan yep. it when you come in that'll tell us if you have the virus or not basically yes immunity cards as they call them again that's a combination of bringing all that technology together and controlling you through that technology and 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 medical um services that you want to have delivered right so uh, and again we start to see all of this sort of come together but 
in terms of being uh, a pandemic that leads right into the apocalypse, doesn't you're right? It's not there yet, and that's why I like to sort of reel people back and say, look at it as a birth pang. There's more pandemics coming because more people are going to have to die in these type of catastrophes. And when you look out at a pandemic. Uh, in the past, let's say like the Black Plague. I mean, I don't know what the number was off the top of my head that that would have killed in terms of the Western population, but it might have been like 25% or 30% or a horrific number. That would be where this type of thing is heading. So I would expect if there's going, if these, this is just the start of the birth pangs in terms of pestilence, that we'll see larger ones. And then if we look at the last large one that we had, a significant one that was the influenza after World War One, and how many people that destroyed, that was a direct result out of war. And I would look at that as type of that type of analogy where uh, the the significant pestilences come from, unless it's a contrived one, and that really goes down a conspiracy trail in terms of, you know, and in, even in this case where the speculation is, was the coronavirus um, developed, was it released purposely in, or was it a naturally causing one that got out through a market, or did it leak out of a lab? And I think we're going to find out it probably wasn't intentionally released, at least that'll be the story that we're told, but it probably did come out of that lab in, in, in Wuhan and uh, just is one of those things that we need to keep an eye on in terms of utilizing what we've learned from history in terms of these pandemics and wars and how those pangs come together in terms of what we should be looking forward to in terms of if it's an end time scenario, how they will come together in, in the future. So uh, I, I, I agree with you on that aspect that, you know, we're going to see a resonance of this, uh, whatever changes they put in place of this, but it is still a march towards that globalist occupation. And, I don't necessarily look at it as a political divide as much as a globalist divide, although mm. I would say there's more of a globalist movement on the left. I wouldn't certainly, from my understanding of politics, and I have a sort of more traditional look, I look at a, at a liberal as somebody that is significantly different than a progressive and further left than that. And so... But on the right, you also have globalists that are on the right side of the spectrum. And they are doing and pushing uh, a number of the same globalist policies. So you want to be careful. People want to be careful of just saying it's just one side. I think the Democratic Party in the U.S. and the left-wing parties in Canada, where I'm from, um, have more of a left word swing than a liberal. I think they're into progressivism, which begins in extremism of, of leftist policies. And the progressives and further left are, are wanting to utilize this to bring about more of the globalization, but understand it's also on the right. So I guess one of the things that I would look for is anything that they're talking about, they'll talk about it in ways that you can understand. So whether on the right or the left, understand there's globalists that are doing it. And they're the ones who are always promoting perpetual war are globalists. The ones who are always promoting the UN or the WHO organization in a positive light, no matter what, 
those are globalists. The ones who are promoting um, false information about anything, whether it's from you know the apocalyptic nature of global warming uh, or population or whatever else that they're going to use, they're using that to transborder, transcend borders in a globalist fashion. So look at that information as maybe being partly true, but used as a political tool. Those are globalists. They talk the same language of, apoc of apocalyptic nature and bringing the world together. You've heard them on, on the media, the, the globalist ship has already sailed, so why are people fighting this? They talk the same language, and right now the media is completely globalist. Yeah, and I mean, I think it was a really good point. I mean, the media for sure is, I mean, the fact that, you know, at least in the U.S., I mean, all the ownership of the media, God only knows who even owns all of it and, you know, what parts of it. And I think you're definitely right. I mean, from, again, from like a, let's say like a Republican Party standpoint in America, you know, you look at somebody like, uh, you know, the Bushes, I mean, they were certainly globalists. I mean, you look at other people like, you know, John McCain or Marco Rubio type. I mean, I feel like it's so hard to say with Trump exactly kind of i mean with him obviously it's not the same and i mean it, the presidency is still ongoing so it's hard to tell while it's happening exactly right. but but you i mean yeah but you you know when he ran and even now you know this this idea of the rejection of globalism and that's something too that i also find very fascinating is that it seems like over the last i don't know five years or so if it seems like there's been a bigger rejection of globalism in several countries on the planet than there's ever been before that, or really ever since, I don't know, let's say the end of World War II to mid-2010s, it seemed like there wasn't like a huge push against globalism in a, in a large sense. I mean, yeah, there were certain countries or leaders that would say, hey, you know, let's, let's do this or that, and maybe they spoke out a little bit against it, but it seems like now over the last five or so years, it just seems like there's been a ton of countries that are just outright speaking out against it Exactly right. And it's going to continue to have a pushback. And the globalists are absolutely beside themselves about that. And that's why they're attacking anybody ruthlessly who's pushing back, whether it's the Brexit or some of the policies that Trump has talked about or has introduced. And I'm going to come back to his role in, in, in a second in terms of how I see it. So expect then that they're going to want to bring about more of an apocalyptic nature to, for lack of a better word, and no pun intended here, to trump the pushback, right? Mm. And so catastrophes will, you know, will tend to roll over that pushback and bring it in a way that uh, they don't want to do it. They would rather just seduce people into the arms of the globalists. But at the end of the day, they'll cattle herd them through catastrophes. And so expect a lot of contrived wars or catastrophes or fake apocalypses or fake information that is going to... Uh, get people brainwashed and through fear rush them into the solutions that the globalists are saying. So they're going to create the problem and then present the solution, which is world government and a world religion. So when I look at what Trump uh, has done, and you're right, we, you, you always get a better idea through the lens of you know a decade later or four or five years later after the regime has left. I'm not convinced that he is... Uh, anti-globalism as he wants a different role than what the 
globalists beforehand were seeing for the United States. And so he's not destroying all of the free trade agreements. He's renegotiating them so that the United States gets better treatment or wins more, however you want to look at that, in in those treaties. So he's looking for the U.S. to have a larger role than what seemingly what was being done before, and particularly with the Obama administration about crushing the economy, lowering the status of the U.S. um, around the world, having them lead from behind, not from the front, and to permit that lowering of the standard of living and manufacturing and economic power, which eventually will drive the ability to drive a military power, to a position where they're not a domineering player in the world government, so that it's more equal. And that's what I think what the globalists are trying to do to have the rest of the world say, yes, we can we can accept America in as long as they are accepting of a lower position. And the only way to do that is to reduce them. And so I think Trump is saying that for two reasons. One, he wasn't permitted to run as a Democrat which he was before. And secondly, he just wants a larger role in the U.S. for uh, that globalist position. So he still moves the globalist agenda along, but in a little different sort of framework than the Bushes or the Obamas uh, have done so, or Clinton and, uh, you know, all the way back to, to, to Reagan, although Reagan wasn't as much of a globalist, but still he was still moving with trade policies in that, in that direction. I think Trump, and again, not to put him in the same bed as Putin, so don't misread me on this, Putin is doing the same thing. He want, he does, it's not that he's against the New World Order. He wants a larger role for Russia. So they're both kind of doing the same thing. And what you see with, with uh, Xi out of China, he, he wants a larger role as well. So you see a lot of positioning with these powerful leaders in terms of what that role is going to look like. Yeah, I think you're a really good point. I mean, those three countries, they certainly are doing that. And that's why I feel like you know, it'll be interesting to see if conflict between them is in some sense kind of inevitable but one of those i think power blocks that i'd like to hear your opinion about would be you know the european union i mean the european union the whole you know idea behind it is this idea of you know basically united states of europe that you know with all of their countries put together you know they have the largest economy in the world and they could have this huge army and they have all this influence do you how yeah? How do you see Europe in that in that conflict potentially yeah. going forward between U.S., Russia, and China? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting watching that evolution, and so you know it, it expanded beyond its ability to run together, and you have a dichotomy in terms of the wealth of the nations, and there's some issues with it. Now you have England who has separated from from uh, that which was you know the globalists are just absolutely apoplectic about but that to me that's just again sort of setting up that geopolitical nature for that end time scenario in a better position because england does have a special role i do think what happens with with europe is it continues as a block but at some point in time you're going to see that block split into two i think you're going to have a uh, a German and Eastern bloc, 
So a German-dominated block and sphere of influence, and you probably will have a French and Italian-dominating block of the other aspect. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Great Britain, Canada, and the U.S. sort of bring that together as one trading block down the road either. And I'm not you know, prophesying anything. I'm just saying in terms of how I understand that end-time geopolitical scenario, it makes more sense that that is the case. And uh, I would expect to see as we get through this pandemic and uh, Brexit gets finished off that you start to see discussions with that because that's a natural trading alliance that uh, makes sense. And, you know, Mexico may be part of that or Mexico may be moving off down the road uh, as part of a Central American trading block and then another separate one in the U.S. So the way the Club of Rome, uh, who divvied up the world into the 10 spheres of influence or trading blocks or empires, as, as the Bible would call that, and, and not without coincidence, both divided, the Club of Rome divided the world into 10 of those, just as Daniel uh, 2 and 7 and uh, Rebel and Revelations 13 and 17 talk about this 10 king empire of the, of the end time where you have these blocks of nations that will send one representative bloodline king to rule this council of the world in conjunction with the universal religion who permits this thing to come about. So it's it's not quite unfolding the way the globalists would like, but directionally they don't really care. It's just a splitting up of the powers. How the, How is that power going to split? Which families are going to be running those powers? Hmm. Well, I mean, I remember probably, I don't know, 10 years ago, I feel like I don't know. I, I, there was a lot of talk, or there's a lot of things being written about, um, you know, just the idea of how the European Union was basically the modern Tower of Babel. And I remember some of the artwork that they used for the European Union <coughs> looked very similar to artwork from the Tower of Babel. And just this whole idea of, you know, we all speak different languages, but we're all this, you know, we're all a part of this one entity. And I think a lot of people at that time really thought that the European Union was going to play a significant role in the end times. And now it seems like, you know, again, this could be way off, but it just seems like out of those four entities that were talked about, I mean, maybe you could say Russia is the, is the least important of Russia, China, the United States, and the European Union. But it definitely seems like for sure that the two powers seem like they're really jockeying the most are the United States, number one, and then China. And I don't really feel like Europe is, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of that talk about the European Union being a, a huge player in the end times, I feel like that's not being talked about as much anymore. I don't know, maybe maybe yep. it might be off there. Well, it, it isn't. And uh, again, people got way out too far in front of where we were on the prophetic timeline and read too much in and were, you know, some of them were saying, well, it's going to be the 10 nations of the EEC when it hits 10 nations that's going to be that new world government right and of course it went way beyond 10 countries and that's why you have what people have to be careful but the US uh, will have a big role in in the end time but so will Europe so will Russia so will uh, China and what we do see when I look at that end time geopolitical, scenario and the wars that are involved is that uh, you will have 
a significant presence of Europe, but a split Europe that's involved on, on that end time role. I see Russia as still having a large power and wielding its influence to create this great alliance of Ezekiel 38 and 39, and that is an end time war. And in there, there's an alliance of countries that you know includes Gog and Magog, and you know Gog and Tubal tend to be related back to Germany, and which would there ha- therefore have to be its own sort of empire in its own right. And and Magog goes back to to Russia um, in terms of migrations of people. And then you have Persia, which is Iran that's rising, and it still needs to take over Iraq and a few other places to, to get a little bit bigger. And you have some North African countries, so you have an alliance there. And then you have the kings of the east, which are you know, arguably going to be India and Russia, I mean, and China. But India tends to be part of that Persia group um, and could be somehow part of that, that Gog War that is the 200 million man war of Revelation 9 that you were talking about, which is the counterfeit Armageddon, that Antichrist coming out of the Roman Empire and out of the Greek empires, as Daniel 8 would talk about. Uh, so, and that could be anywhere around the Middle East and in Greece or and in, in, in the Roman Empire. Um, he will come out as the winner uh, of this and take credit for winning this war as part of his pedigree to be the false messiah and deceive even the elect because who would imagine that you could have a war worse than a 200 million man war that happens in Revelation 9. And the timeline of Revelation 9 is before the midpoint of the last seven years and before Antichrist rises to power, and after that war, when an overwhelming army, as Daniel talks about, is wiped out before him, he moves his armies into Jerusalem and crowns himself as Antichrist of the world in the temple, which is the abomination, which is the midpoint of the last seven years. So I see that European influence rising and splitting, but still rising, but maybe not looking like the most powerful groups of nations on the earth until just before. But there w- they will start have to start arming themselves uh, to become a, a, a military power. And then you have, you know, from a Armageddon perspective, you have the kings of the east that are coming into Armageddon. And again, I think that's going to be the Chinese armies that are going to cross over and be part of the Armageddon war. And you have a U.S. role in there that I'm not going to sort of get into, but that comes from some Isaiah prophecies in terms of how it reacts to this invasion into the land of Israel in the Gog War, which is also the Joel 1 and 2. So for people who may be following intently on some of the details I'm providing here, Ezekiel 38 and 9, Joel 1 and 2, and Revelation 9 is the same war. And then in Joel 3 and 4, that moves on to the Armageddon War, which is in Revelation 19. I think that that's something that I've I've also kind of thought in the past too when I think about, you know, like the end times and like you said, like these wars. And one thing that I've just kind of thought to myself is, you know, are there going to be like good, so to speak, good countries when the end times come about that are going to actually be fighting against all the evil in the world? Or is it just basically these wars are going to happen amongst Basically, everyone's bad, but they're just, everything's kind of just being played off for a role. Yeah, so not everybody's going to be bad, but all the countries will be led by bad people. 
And so you'll have, we have a description that comes out of Daniel 2, iron and clay, that as iron and clay don't mix, neither will this empire. And they'll be clashing amongst themselves, all jostling for what we talked about earlier, a larger role. And at some point in time, the Alliance of Nations that's led by uh, Gog and Magog are saying, we don't have a big enough share and we are going to start this uh, Revelation 9 war that comes towards the midpoint of, of the last seven years. So after that world government has, has been put together. And so when we look at that, though, as being imposed on the whole world, you have this new world order, you have this universal religion that is imposed on everybody. It doesn't matter whether or not you're Christian or you're Jewish or you're Islamic or whatever, there are going to be people who resist. And so and there will be people of goodwill amongst those people all around the world who will resist and push back. And there will be large-scale persecution of people who do that, and particularly Christians who aren't deceived and don't convert. And... Christians will be persecuted absolutely worldwide. And in the second half, all the people who do not take the mark will be persecuted. So uh, you don't have to still be a Christian who wasn't raptured before that and still around or have just converted uh, to be Christian because you've seen the sign of Jesus in the sky after that not to take the mark. And so you just might just agree with with the whole system and not take the mark as well. So there will be people that will be pushing back, but there will be persecution of those people because those who don't take the mark in the last three and a half years, they're going to be beheaded and they're going to be hunted down. And in the first three and a half, that's done by the Babylon religion. And Babylon religion is destroyed in Revelation 17 by Antichrist just after the midpoint. So it's the Antichrist system that does the persecution in the last three and a half years. And in the meantime, you've got those two big sets of wars. You have the big war during the Babylonian reign, reign, and then you have the Armageddon War. So all of that is going on, but the countries are led by these bloodlines or uh, strong men uh, that form these 10 groups of nations or empires or spheres of influence or trading blocks, however it's going to be you know, used for a terminology for that end-time government, but they're going to hold power until Antichrist comes along, overthrows three, destroys Babylon, and sets up the last three and a half years. Mm. So, I mean, maybe without necessarily going into, like, a super lot of detail, but uh, you mentioned the United States, and maybe the United States' role in all of this. I mean, how how do you think the United States will play out? And what do you think about the fact that and maybe this is a little bit of a of a rabbit hole, and we had to talk about this another time. But just the whole, I guess, idea of North America and South America being this this country of or these these continents of like the New World, and there's so much, you know, Atlantis. I guess talk about you know the North and South America continents and just something about especially like you know you look at like something like the founding of like america let's say and you know not to sound too american centric but there is something about the founding of the country the you know the you know the literal landing and discovering the land and it seems like there's so many things about it that seem so i don't know so mythical i guess and so many of the words are so mythical even though it's such a a modern a modern country in a lot of ways yeah, and when I look at, you know, what, what you're saying, 
there is a lot of history that goes into the setting up of the end time world empire and the new world i think is a world where is is a phrase that was used that is you know the basis for the new world order and both south america and north america were set up to um, be platforms by the powerful european uh, nations and bloodlines to be a platform and as an example to the world of how to set up the end-time world government. So, and that's a whole bunch. That's a bunch of nation states that are kind of working together. Now things got a little bit on track, but the U.S. became sort of the the ideal model, and what they were trying to do in Brazil didn't quite stick the way they would have liked it to have to have stuck. And it's been the secret societies and the bloodlines dream to have a world order. And they looked at the new world as being that platform. And they wanted these individual nations that would have one, one central government with separate powers, but working together as, as one unit. And so when we look at um, how that is going to transpire for the end time, uh, you know, I think we, we we see the U.S. as being this great, powerful nation. It's not Babylon as what a lot of people would uh, look at, at U.S. being, you know, when they describe it, they look at New York and they say, this is, this is Babylon. No, the U.S. is going to be part of this trading block. It's going to have a very powerful trading block. And I think it's the nation that is responding to help in this God war in the end time by destroying a lot of the Magog and Gog army because it's the islands uh, around the world and the borders beyond Kush and that will give an indication as to people as to what I'm talking about when I'm talking about um, United States and prophecy and there's a, like I say, there's a terrific Isaiah prophecy um, that if people want to get a hold of me, I'll, I'll send you that and give you some information on it in terms of uh, why I think that's the United States. and But I think the U.S. is going to be reduced in power through some sort of catastrophe or civil war or war of some sort where they're not being that dominant world power, that dominant policeman, but they're always going to be there for the nation state of Israel. And that is where I think they come in and, and help out. I, I think We'll see a rising of South America. I think uh, they're starting to get their economic order together. I don't see them as being this, this you know, these most powerful or, uh, group of countries in the end time. But I do see that they have a role in the end time as representing part of you know that ten groups of nations. So whether or not it's you know, all of Central and South America together, or Central and South America have separate ones. Uh, they're going to be re they're going to be represented amongst the ten, and they have the bloodlines, like with the Inca Incas from the Roca bloodlines, and you have, you know, bloodlines that were left from uh, the time of the Spaniards in Central America all the way through. And even though the individual king was assassinated after the Spaniards conquered them, by about the mid fifteen uh, say about 1525 to 1530, as my, my memory recalls, all of those bloodline families had all of their rights 
reinstated that they had before, answerable to, to the dominant European countries of Spain and Portugal. And then they started to intermarry with those royal bloodlines. So those bloodlines are still in place that I think will be stepping forward to run those uh, countries, just like you have the Lee family bloodlines, which is still dominant in China, that Xi takes his bloodlines back to, uh, that will be representing the China-dominated uh, empire. Well, Gary, wow, that was, that was definitely that was a lot of information. And people talk about these types of issues. I feel like everything is so centered from the Western world standpoint. And, you know, I mean, there's there's something really wrong with that. I mean, if you live in the West, it's totally fine to think that way. But I think even for myself, I mean, I think thinking about like the East, especially thinking about a country like China and its role, I think uh, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of talk about that, really. And like what you were mentioning right now, you know, this whole bloodline even in China. And I think when it comes to the kind of end of time type of, you know, like theories or prophecies or even like speculation i don't think that there's a lot of emphasis put on that area of the world so yeah so hopefully yeah the next time you come on we should dive into that a little bit and see yeah talk about maybe india and china and japan and yeah kind of what what their role could be and kind of maybe a little bit of their background and all of their their bloodlines and all of that stuff but yeah gary well definitely yeah thank you so much for coming on and you know as always how can we how can we follow your stuff, and when when do you have new materials coming out? Uh, Gary, are you still there? Um, I think your mic might be on mute. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, getting a chance now to uh, spend some time and, and focus on the book I've been working on for a couple of years, and I'm hoping by the end of the year to have that book. It's a more of a prophetic book in terms of how the second exodus applies for, for the end time, which most people aren't aware of, and they conflate those prophecies with... Uh, you know, church prophecies and other things. So hopefully I'm going to have that book out towards the end of the year. And, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, a show on how these different bloodlines and families are still around the world is a is a fabulous eye-opening topic to give people more of a worldwide perspective because this is a worldwide thing that's coming, not just a North America-centric uh, set of events. So we need to take a step back and look at things from that, that kind of perspective. And before I forget, I know I referenced uh, the Isaiah chapter. That's Isaiah 18, if I didn't give the number out, just so that if you know, somebody wants to look at where the U.S. probably fits in, there's markers and things throughout all of that prophecy that you should have a look at, but certainly look at some of the descriptions of that country and what happens to them uh, in the time of the trumpets and the time of the banner or the sign, which is very, very telling. Want to get a hold of me in terms of this information? Go to my, my website, the genesis6conspiracy.com. That's the number 6conspiracy.com. There's an email on there. Uh, and I'll send you any information that, uh, that I have. If I have it to you or if you want to ask me a question, I'll get back to you. We want to thank today's sponsors again, the Tax Defense Group and Rider Junkie. You can contact the Tax Defense Group at 800-850-7973. And Rider Junkie's phone number again was 805-587-7966.